Hunted by the Kraken, the sinister leader of the Rule Empire, Beverly Jordan must control her powers, known only as the Priori, to survive. Believing her powers fit only for destruction and ruin, Beverly and her brother Charlie set off on a journey to find the fabled haven of Kriana, an underwater world where one can learn to split the fabric of time and manipulate the lines of power, where winged aliquines soar through the air and the shadows lurk in waiting for someone to release them. Will Beverly escape the grasping clutches of the Kraken? Or is she destined to become his weapon? Chapter 20 Fabric Between Worlds The lion-shaped doorknock was in front of me again. I sighed inwardly as the iron doors swung open to reveal the dusty room beyond. My footsteps echoed through the hall as I walked forward. A potent force overpowered my impulse to retreat. Once again I was standing in front of the staircase that had fallen into disrepair. One branch leading left, the other right. I am here, came the now familiar voice. Who? Echoed my automatic reply. From there the fear began to mount. I... I am here, the voice called. I am here. The voice grew louder and louder as it came closer. I am. Everything was still. I always dreaded the end of this dream. Here, yelled the voice in my ear. I screamed, but instead of the dream dissolving, it continued with terrifying clarity. I spun, turning a dizzy full circle to face the staircase yet again. No one was there. I stood breathing heavily, and then some insistent force guided my eyes upward. At the landing, where the two staircases divided, stood a tall, stiff man with smooth-cropped black hair neatly parted to one side. His narrow face housed an icy expression and darting green eyes with the half-mad glint of one on the verge of losing his sanity but the madness could not hide the identity of the haggard man. Elliot? See what you have done, rasped his harsh voice. What I once was is lost because of you. You lost that long before you even met me. The words poured from my mouth. His fist clenched so hard, tiny trails of blood rolled down his white fingers from where his nails broke the skin. You will be the destroyer of humanity, came his chilling laugh. My foot stepped forward, of its own accord, blue fire crackling between my fingers. Anger flowed through my veins as his words cut through the delicate prison of my self-doubts. The glittering madness had been replaced by an empty void. Any soul that had been there was no more. Kill me, or see me rise to infamy at his side. You have the power. I'm here to protect, not destroy. I cried, quivering with denial and rage. Unbidden, my magic rose in retaliation, gathering terrible momentum. A vibrant blue ball exploded from my chest, more ferocious than I had ever seen it before, with deadly accuracy. The lightning ball with its blinding circular symbol burned a blazing path through the air. 
the entire room was filled with a blue light. All shining surfaces reflected the glowing, rippling spectacle. The Priori was only seconds away from impact when Elliot's face began to distort and change shape, features blending and reforming, shoulders filling out, vacant expression morphing. A split second before it hit, the Priori, the Omega Enchantment, lit up the new face. The features revealed with cold precision. There stood Charlie, shocked and bewildered, his hand reaching forward as if he could ward off the approaching magic with his will alone. The ball hit him square in the chest, entering his body like an arrowhead. He was consumed by white flames from the inside out, fully enveloped in a matter of seconds. Charlie! I screamed as the flames consumed him, spreading to the staircase and all he was near. I too was consumed by inner flames as I dropped to my knees in anguish. The dream dissolved, leaving me to battle with sorrow in the darkness. Soft green light played on Master Elytri's face as he settled himself opposite me on one of the flat stones in the forest clearing. My gaze was unfocused, my mind preoccupied with the nightmarish dream of the previous night. I had woken with a jolt, my body bathed in cold sweat and exhausted. Kara did not stir, though my breathing was loud and erratic as I gasped in deep breaths of the cold night air. Gradually, I fought down my nausea. What did such a dream mean? That I would kill Charlie? That there was evil in him? That the Priori would be the cause of my brother's death? I shuddered, realizing that any one of these terrifying possibilities could be true. I was certain the new ending had greater significance than the rest of the dream. Some instinct told me the ending was the key. I had speculated all the while I dressed, trying to prepare myself for each potential conclusion to the nightmare. Kara only stirred once or twice. With a soft landing in the gathering place, I made my way through the mirror Leo, my thoughts fully occupied by the dream and the special dawn lesson Master Elytri had organized. I turned to greet Leo with my customary good morn and farewell and stopped short. Instead of seeing my own image, I saw a tall rock spire in the middle of what appeared to be a dark, saltwater lake. Shooting stars fell overhead, and the red and gold planet Nark hung low in the reflected sky. Hearing a voice, I leaned closer until my head had almost touched the mirror's surface. Leo's was talking to himself in a mumbling voice. Leo? Aris, the last refuge, the last haven when all is lost, he raved. When what is lost? I asked. Leo continued without a pause. The salt water makes sure they are blind to us, but we are also blind to them, with our magic confined to the bounds of Aris. Who is blind? What's Aris? You're not making any sense, Leo. I countered. We will see it again soon, for we are no longer safe here anymore, and Aris will become our home, Leo prophesied. It was then that the first Earthshake lurched through the city, little more than a tremor, but still an Earthshake. It was to be the first of many that day, each more violent than the last. 
Much was being done to discover where the shockwaves were originating, and predictions were made as to when the major shake would hit. It was being regarded as a natural phenomenon, for now. One of the mystery shakes rippled through the forest, forcing me back to the present as Master Elytri's firm hand descended upon my shoulder to steady me. Beverly, pay attention, he said reprovingly. Though used to my daydreaming during lessons, he still became irritated when he discovered my attention wandering. I was listening, sir, I answered without thought. The master raised his eyebrows ever so slightly. Please enlighten me, he sat back, idly twirling his thumbs. I replied, Sir, has today been odd to you? I think it was only my earnestness that stopped him from berating me for deviating a second time. His face serious, he replied, Every new day has been odd since you arrived, Beverly. But I take it you mean more than usual. It's just this morning Leo was acting strangely. He was mumbling about a hideaway called Aris. I stopped when I saw the master's hands give a sudden jerk. He laid them firmly on his knees and said, Continue. I've also been having this dream for several months. I thought it was just a nightmare, but I never had reoccurring nightmares before the cave-in. And then there was Leo this morning. It has to be more than coincidence that my dream finally concluded when the earth shakes began. Thank you, Beverly. We shall add this new information to the investigations. We would not have known there was something more unless you had told us. Master Relitri stood and pinched a line, pulling it back like an arrow in a string and releasing it to shoot through the forest. That's Leo looked after. Now your dream. Can you please call Arabella to the stream, Beverly? I went to do as Master Relitri bid, considering the golden ball he had sent whizzing away. His jerky handling of the line was in sharp contrast to his calm demeanour. It must have been a short message to one of the Academy adepts to check on Leo. A quirk of the lines meant that they could not carry messages as well. Something about them deteriorated in the travel. One could send a very short message which would degrade less rapidly, but its destination had to be close. I concluded this was why we were sending note of my more detailed dream using Arabella. The water sprite arrived less than a minute after I called her name her watery form raising half out of the flowing stream. She gave a sweet smile, her ink ringlets rippling in the wind through the trees. Hello, Beverly. I realized her voice reminded me of the bubble of the brook beneath her, or the soft swish of waves against sand. Arabella, Beverly has a dream which the dryads need to interpret immediately. Would you please relive it with her and take it to them? Master Elitri turned to me, muddy patches on his knees from kneeling next to the stream. I know it is painful to recall, but they need as accurate a picture as possible to interpret. I grimaced and nodded. Arabella rose up on a controlled column of water and reached out her cool, damp hands to my forehead. She was barely taller than the length of my head. I recalled as much as I could, and when I drew away, tears coursed down my face. Arabella patted me on the cheek absorbing the tears with a sad look on her petite face. I will be swift, I promise. The dream may not mean what you think it does. Be brave. 
she sank into the water and disappeared with the current. Master Relitri sighed. We must once again wait. If I do much more of it today, I may find myself permanently frozen that way. As we have time to spare, can you recite to me what I have taught you thus far today? Now? I asked, dumbfounded. Do you have somewhere else to be? He inquired, seating himself on one of the stones again. A fleeting thought crossed my mind to say that I needed to find Charlie, but I rejected it. He would resent my hovering, and I really did have nothing else to do but hover. Better to stay and try distraction instead. I settled back into a cross-legged pose in the middle of the circle of stones. Though I had been having lessons for several weeks, I had yet to sit on the largest stone in the circle. I was in no hurry, for I did not feel worthy. Frowning, I gathered my wits and summoned up the master's words, which I had taken in half unconsciously. I began to recite them. The art of invisibility requires you to create a tear in the fabric between parallel worlds. These parallel worlds are caused by alternative possibilities like forks in the road. Our world was once alone until a great event in history split the world in two. One world contained one possible outcome and the other world contained the other. The fabric was created forming a barrier between the vast networks of interconnected worlds. The fabric is made out of insubstantial matter, which, if manipulated correctly, will be able to conceal your physical form from view. Invisibility requires you to tear a hole in the fabric between worlds and step into it, pulling the tear along with you as you move through it. At the same time, you must be sure that you maintain the tear to the size of your body and not let it rip open, causing a potentially dangerous breach between worlds. It's like writing. Too much to think about at once. I interrupted myself. Until it becomes second nature, the master said mildly, unfolding his long legs. He stood and beckoned me to follow him to the edge of the brook. Kneeling, he brushed the surface of the flowing water. Close your eyes, he commanded. I obeyed. Cold water drops fell onto my eyelids, causing me to shiver. Look for a line, came his soft voice. I reached for my medallion as I opened my eyes. No, he said firmly, without your medallion. Though the water had to have done something... I still looked at him as though he had lost his mind. He stared back, a mild but unwavering look, and finally I shrugged. Looking couldn't do any harm. I glanced up to the clearing, wondering how I might see the lines of power without the medallion. Then I caught sight of shimmering lines as thin as a cotton thread, all running parallel to each other in every direction I turned. I found more than one. I said, gazing in astonishment at the numerous lines before me. Watch carefully, warned Master Relitri, and walked into my field of vision. He held a line of power in his hand, and used a bolt of black and white speckled magic to slice the line in half with a tiny incision. He gripped both arms, then pulled them further apart, creating a gaping hole in reality. The hole was a dense black, but at certain moments you could see tiny specks of raining light in a kaleidoscope of colours. When the hole was large enough for him to enter, he stepped into it and promptly disappeared. 
I moved forward to examine the line he split. It was seamlessly joined, magic moving through it in a harmonious flow. The portal, that had been there only seconds ago, had vanished. Your turn, Lady Jordan. Master Relitri's voice came over my right shoulder. I jumped, releasing the line I had been holding. You'll need that, he said pointedly. You can move through the fabric? I asked. As you will see when you try yourself, use your magic to push a path forward, and when you pass that section, guide the fabric to join together again behind you. Now, just a small strike, if you please, Beverly. Small strike? I thought. Sounds simple enough. Draping the line across the gap between my thumb and index finger on my left hand, I pointed at it with the three middle fingers on my right. I called up my magic and channeled it through my fingers, sending it out in a short, sharp burst. It missed, the bolt sliding off the edge of the line. Annoyed, I sent another bolt forth to miss the line by a couple of finger widths. When the same thing happened again and again, I became increasingly frustrated. Master Elytri gestured for me to stop and held my eyes with his unruffled gaze. Beverly, you must focus. Put pride and irritation in their place, for they dictate your control. We must get you past their influence. Focus. You must look at the line until it fills your entire vision. Until it is the only thing you see. Only then let your magic strike. I frowned and shook out my body before trying again. I looked at the line, letting my gaze become unfocused. Concentrating with my mind's eye, the line drew closer until it was all I could think about, all I could see. The shimmering flow of magical harmony had a stillness that calmed my soul. The magic came naturally, without my having to call. An abrasion appeared in front of my eyes where there had been none. I prized the cut open with my fingers, revealing a sliver of the black void with its sparkling rain. Hands wedged on either side of the gap, I gave a small tug. Even that slight effort cost me, yet I had only a slightly larger gap than before. Taking a wider stance, I tensed my muscles and heaved with one mighty burst of magic. I stood there gasping before the hole, using a stream of magic to keep it open while I pumped the circulation back into my hands. But I could not delay, for the hole was already collapsing on my magic doorstop. I stumbled through, retracting the stream of magic from the edges and allowed it to collapse. A fear of enclosed spaces could cripple a person here, I concluded, noting the only clear space I had was inside the magical aura that surrounded me, about a half a metre on either side. Beyond the space was the clearing just as I had left it, with Master Elytri standing calm inside the circle of stones. Yet the landscape was blurred and hazy, as though I was looking at the clearing through a curtain of rain, giving the clearing colours a greyed appearance. Details could still be seen, but they were distorted like they were covered in water caused by the rainy fog. Mindful of Master Elytri's warning not to breach the fabric between worlds, I considered how I would push my magic forward and close the trail I had left behind.
I went to kneel down and saw my magical aura shape itself to fit my position. I smiled. Master Elytri made it sound so hard, yet it was so simple. All that needed to be done was to push forward my magical aura to form a path through and to pull the aura in behind me so that the fabric would knit together. I stood up again and noticed there was no drain on my reserves. Perhaps the only magical drain that would occur was when I opened and shut the portal. My aura flared and swelled in inconsistent patterns. To my shame, I realized I was seeing the visual manifestation of my leaking magic and my lack of control over it. Perhaps this conscious manipulation of aura would help in my control. I took an experimental step forward, pulsing my aura forward and out. It flared larger and more irregularly than I intended, but did not run away from me to rip holes in the fabric like a child in a tantrum. I breathed a sigh of relief. At the same time, I pulled my aura in behind and could hear the swish of the fabric between worlds meeting and joining. Elated, I turned to where the master stood, only to find that he was not there. It was then I felt his magical distortions in the fabric. I marveled that I could actually feel distortions in the threads of the fabric. People entering and leaving and at regular intervals, I could feel the earth tremors vibrate through, like a wave drowning out all the other magical impulses. I moved forward to meet him, testing my new ability to move through the wall between worlds. When we met, our auras formed a large space around the both of us, keeping the fabric at bay. Master Elytri nodded his approval. Very good, Beverly. I'm surprised you managed to open a rift on the first try. Yet again, I have underestimated your power. I felt my cheeks heat. It had taken me a few weeks to get the Omega Chantment under some semblance of control, and now I had been successful in becoming invisible on the first try. What would my aura have looked like a month ago? Let us add a new element to the equation, he suggested, a hint of challenge in his voice. I eyed him in suspicion. He was always adding new elements to everything we did. You could never tell if they were easy or difficult as each time the only clue he would give was that hint of challenge. Yes? I said. We will test your ability to be invisible in a crowd. Kriana's town square will be perfect. What's the catch? I asked, crossing my arms. There's always a catch. The master chuckled. Observant. There is indeed a catch, as you say. If you walk into anything or anyone solid in our world, there will be a distortion in the town. If the distortion is seen, you will almost certainly divulge your presence in the area. As most who are invisible want to stay unnoticed, this is considered a problem. I just stopped myself from rolling my eyes. If this is understood, we best be off. You push our path forward and I will close the trail behind us. Careful not to tear the fabric, I turned around and forged a path forward towards Kriana. With each new swell of my aura, I gained a little more control on how it was shaped. Elytri stilled the distortions we were sending out. 
making us invisible in both the real world and the fabric between. Looming through the hazy mist, mighty wings of water arched in a breathtaking embrace of the sky above. A clawed hand was held out in a possessive grip around a liquid ball. Its tail curled down the rocky hill perch to encircle jewels close to his clawed feet. Small streamlets flowed from claw tips, tail and wings. The sculptured fountain made entirely of flowing water in the main square was impressive. The dragon was a specialty of the Vinci family. Water was held, directed, and controlled using an ancient method, which only the Vinci's were privy to. My only regret was that I could not see the transparent dragon in all its majestic glory. Instead, I was glimpsing it through the insubstantial fabric that formed the barrier between worlds. Everything was dimmed in this unmade plane of existence. The green checker road took on a greyish hue. Summer rain's golden lettering, now metallic silver. In the fabric, the expressions of the crowd in the town square were blurred together, yet I still had the ability to identify the face and features of each person who passed me by. Even noise was muffled in the fabric barrier. Rather than wading through the thick crowd of shoppers in the square, we stuck to the quiet fairway of the walls to avoid any chance of being exposed. Since entering invisibility through the fabric, the muscles in my legs were steadily wearing, as though I had been wading all that time in water. Unnoticed at first, the constant movement of the leg muscles and the expansion of my magic aura caused the overworked muscles, both physical and mental, to feel the beginnings of fatigue. The constant changes of direction to avoid collisions with solid objects only amplified the feeling. I also had a suspicion that the increasing tremors were giving me the beginnings of a headache. Always have an escape route, Master Elytri murmured behind me as I dodged a stray child. At all moments, be aware of the threads the fabric is composed of. They, like the lines of power, are a portal between invisibility and visibility. If you are in danger of an inevitable collision, you must have your escape route ready. A person appearing suddenly from around a corner is less conspicuous than a human-shaped distortion in the air. I nodded my understanding and was determined to be more sensitive to the threads surrounding me. I was not going to let myself get caught on my first invisible outing. The constant practice of letting a certain thread fill my vision, from millions, while wading through the fabric undoubtedly made me more tired. However, I was resolute that I would avoid discovery. My paranoia at being discovered shocked and puzzled me as it had been many months since I had felt that way. The master, wanting to reach an alley on the other side of the square, urged me into the open during a break in the crowd. Sir? I protested. Walk quickly and you'll be fine, he chided. Feeling profoundly exposed, I took a nervous step into the open. I knew no one could see your census. But still I let a thread from the tightly woven fabric between worlds fill my vision as we began to cross. Thus preoccupied, I did not wonder at the abnormally loud rumble of a new earth tremor which crashed along the fabric threads behind. 
I did not steel myself for the onslaught of the waves. The violent tremor pitched me forward, the shaking earth squealing in protest. Instinct caused my magic to lash out, cutting a fine incision along the thin thread. As my body impacted with the thread, my weight ripped the small tear wide open, depositing me into sudden visibility, sprawled on the ground of the square. I felt Master Elytri enter into visibility with more grace than I. To my consternation, the crowd did not register our abrupt appearance. It took but a moment to realize why. My head snapped up as a deafening splash resonated through the silent square. It was a scene frozen in time. Hundreds were turned towards the fountain unmoving, all faces registering various amounts of shock. Lying in the water fountain was a woman, the rise and fall of her chest fast and shallow. She was willowy, with long limbs and perfectly manicured nails. But the most striking thing was her face, long and slender, prominent cheekbones, pointed nose and chin, and full red lips. Her large, green eyes glazed over and wide open. There was a widow's peak in the middle of her forehead, and her hair was long, straight, and black. Deep lines showed on her upper lip, indicating the woman's life had been quite traumatic of late. Her unseeing eyes turned towards me before they closed. My breath caught in my throat. Mother! My shocked voice echoed, flowing through the air like never-ending ripples. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us for episode 25 of the Priori Podcast. I am joined this evening by an almost full house uh, of lovely people. I know! Uh, that was that was Colin Smith, who re- now requires no introduction. I'm no, also joined by Lois Spangler. Hello. Sam Piaggio. Hello. And our author, Emily Craven. Hello. David is sadly un- unable to join us tonight, and he is missed greatly. Yeah, we will add him to our sad face soap opera. So many sad faces. I forgot to mention him last time. I'm really sorry, David. Um, yeah. Jesus, Cole. I love David more. I love David <laughs> Oh, my God. What an episode. Certainly one of my favorite characters uh, pops up for a little bit of a taunt to end, but so much happening in this episode. Is there a particular point that you wanted to, that you wanted to start talking through, Em? Because we had earth shakes. We had visions. We had prophecies from Leo. So much was happening in this. Can I, can I say We, we had a hearing mother. Every time uh, Shakes came up, there's a little voice in my head just going, my Earth Shakes bring all the guys together. <laughs> I keep trying to work out how to work in, like, some sort of, like, Earth Shake, uh, um, Earthquake, like, or Earth Shake, I guess, like, safety message, you know. My Earth Shakes bring all my, all the people to the doorway. Because damn right, that's the safest place. <laughs> my, my Earth Shakes bring all the boys to the arch. They're like, can't stand in the yard. There were two things that um, I'm going to bring us back on track here. Yes, go ahead, <laughs> please <that>. do. <laughs> Where that horrible woman who interrupts safety messages. It's a very important narcissistic announcement. There are two things that I am very proud of. <laughs> this, 
chapter. Uh, one, obviously, cliffhanger again. Um, more for the cliffhangers. Yeah. Hey, Mum, <laughs> what are you doing here in Kriana after we abandoned you? Um, Sorry about that. <clears throat> the other one is I am pretty um, – I'm peacocking pretty hard about the whole concept of uh, fabric between worlds and making people invisible. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. Yeah. It's one of my favourite parts of magic in the book. It's a, it's a great way to explain why you don't have much more invisibility happening or why you don't have items that give you that power. Because, um, excuse me, you're tearing at the fabric of reality. You want to be a bit more careful with that? Yeah. <laughs> it's, always, it's always so worrying when it's like, all right, step one, tear apart the fabric of the of the world. Um, maybe I don't need to be invisible? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and smoke bombs. And, oh, smoke go ahead. bombs are okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As an Event Horizon fan, I love the heck out of that concept so much because any time where you've got sort of hubris and shortcuts involved, it's always such a rich potential. And you've you've just dropped that one in in amongst everything else because there's so much else happening that that sort of is is almost it almost feels like by the end of the episode sort of a side detail, but it's not. No. I was just I was I've just been doing delving quite deep into a, a role playing game because I was doing a writing application for them. And within the, their world, there's a, a form of magic that's it's not t- invisibility, it's more like teleportation, but it does involve tearing at the fabric of the world. And it's kind of horrifying. <laughs> so that was another thing that kept reminding me of. It's like, uh, you know, if there was, you know, if we get to like book three of Priori, and then it's like you find out as she gets like a deeper understanding of magic, and it's like, oh, by the way, tearing at the fabric of the world is not a good idea. And you're like, oh, I probably should have worked that out by now. I haven't decided it yet. I think it's one of those things where they're like, not enough people know how to do it for it to be doing any damage Mm -hmm. right now. But then again, you know, that's how fossil fuels started. So it's sort of like, you know, (laughs) it's like the industrial mills in England at like 1773. (laughs) It's okay now. Exactly. Someone worked out how to yeah. go invisible, like make make going invisible like easier, and everyone started doing it. It's like, no, this is terrible. You need to stop. <laughs> it's a. It reminds me of um. I, I, I just finished watching the uh, the TV series Constantine, and um, I'm a big fan of the comics. But it, they talk about in that what's the cost of magic? Every spell that any of them cast or you know the character of Zed has visions, and uh, it, it's what what price are they paying to exert this otherworldly power over over the normal world? I was just going to say it's it's such it's gorgeous how you can approach that from so many different angles and reflect different philosophies as well, isn't it? Because if you look at say for example the world of Lord of the Rings, which is certainly by the time of Lord of the Rings a more low magic world. There are like the circle of mages have been doing their thing for forever, and they know something that something that like if you went into a role playing game, just kind of um, thinking about it because you mentioned role playing before, Sam. But the palantirs, like if you look at them in terms of D and D, are a very straightforward spell. It's really just sort of a way to yeah, yeah, exactly. It's basically Skype for wizards. Uh-huh. But what happens the first time that uh, one of those is revealed? Gandalf basically flips his lid and he's like, you don't know everyone who's on the network. It's not safe. And yeah, so Basically, in- he opened up his Wi-Fi without a password. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not using WPA, man. Just settle. 
Yeah, and so that reflects, you know, magic there is something that is approached, is never approached lightly and is is the endeavor of a lifetime for the slightest thing. And yet in your story, M, you reflect sort of, I, I think, the principles of dogged um, dogged stubbornness and willingness to adapt and intellectual flexibility, all of the resources that Beverly has in how magic works in Kriana because she's thrown into this world uh, uh, not knowing any of the rules, but very quickly becomes sort of uh, partly because of the gift that she has, but also because of who she is innately, her personality becomes this central figure. And I think that that is a way that you can use those same tools to reflect a very different story. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, my head's just all fluffed up right now. Uh, <laughs> is that just a puppy at your feet? Yes, it is. There, there are many puppies at my feet, and they are very cute. <laughs> a really good bit was I thought I'd died. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I'm done with Charlie. Oh, shit. Oh, hang on, wait. No, it was all great. But, um, was but that yeah, that... When Beverly went into flames as well, you're like, ah, she can't be dead too. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. But I, I was really joyous that, that Elliot was kind of back in the game. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. What? Where's my, where's all my lines gone? And no, no. I, I could interpret it in a number of ways, really. Is it um, if she loses control of the skills that she's been taught, does she then kill the people she loves or endanger them at the very least? Or, or, is, it, or is it somehow she actually knows that Elliot's on the right side and he's been forced into this situation or I don't know the, the dream sequence did, did kind of ask a lot of questions because I know that um the deliberate writing of these type of it's not a throwaway it's not um hmm. it's not it's just not, uh set dressing yeah it's not the writer just going I'm just going to have a dream and it's going to be spooky and blah, blah, blah. but no it brings up themes and it, or, or it foreshadows or um it, it it means something. It's not it's not um it's not a waste of ink. It's definitely uh tapping into that fear that she had from the very very beginning when mm. she when she kills the the um the soldier, um that you know that this the magic is very destructive and it's sort of she's gotten better she's gotten more control but sort of deep down there's always that worry that that it is destructive that she could lose control and that it's sort of like it sort of crystallizes in that, that her biggest fear that she would kill. You know the most important person um, to her, which is right. obviously Charlie, and so, yeah. and so it's sort of like you know that's like the worst case scenario, and so even though she has more control, even she's gotten more comfortable with it, it is still, you know, this this thing that deep down that she still has to kind of shake. Yeah, because while yeah. she's while she's got that control, I mean, this is at a time where a something like something has very recently happened with the Priori that she was not able to control at all, and she's getting a steadily larger number of people telling her, "You're going to you're going to press the button that ends everything," like that's you. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all. Yeah, I thought foreshadowing um, was a really good word to use, Cole, because it feels like, especially at the end of the episode, with M putting all of the eggs now in one basket. And knowing basically how much territory we've got to cover before the end of this book, sadly, it feels like there's a lot of foreshadowing of something big about to come, which is delicious. Oh, not quite, quite. Yeah, so maybe you will lose your lines after all, Cole. <laughs> I am all about the foreshadowing. <gasps> all the foreshadowing. A lot of there are a lot of like little things that come together in this episode. So. Like the dream that's been hanging around comes together, foreshadowing with Charlie bursting into flame, her her power not obeying her. In the fabric between worlds, her aura 
is is leaking and flaring all over the place. Like all all of these little things are things that were alluded to throughout the previous sort of chapters and now kind of they're all coming in, they're all getting tied off. I loved that image, especially when she was turning invisible because, and I don't know, this might sound a little pretentious, but being a huge fan of directors like uh, John Woo, who will often use mirrors to show something significant or say, for example, there's, I'm pretty sure Ghost in the Shell does this as well. There are points where rainfall reveals basically someone who is otherwise cloaked and that is a sudden, it's a sudden piece of information and in that case it's her entering an environment where kind of like if you were going somewhere where you know you'd vent steam if you are hot um it shows us something that's happening by i guess almost environmental storytelling like you know this Mm. it's not anything that anyone points at but you know it's not something that should happen and everyone's like that's bad Mm." yes indeed so that was delicious i'm all about the deliciousness (laughs) you could you could eat our priori audio script we'll print it off We'll cook it into a tasty, tasty dish and just eat those words. Put it on a plate. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, so in the next episode, we find out why Beverly's mother has mysteriously appeared. We will have answers? Uh, Yes. Oh, fantastic. Sam's Earthshake warnings can continue. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the PSAs. It might seem silly for those of you listening for me to ask that question, but I actually, I'm reading this along with you guys. Everyone else has read their dialogue up until the end, so they're like, oh, that's happening. Oh, that's interesting. But <laughs> I, I'm approaching this thing like every, every episode, it is completely fresh to me, which is such a gift. So I'm, I'm getting to enjoy it along with you all. You're the fresh prince of Kriana? I, I guess so. <laughs> so there is a disadvantage oh. to living in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, it's not the coffee. <laughs> but... Listen, I can't cope with the puppy bellies. <laughs> oh! Oh my god, stop it! Those of you listening, we're being barraged by these incredibly cute puppy pics. There's one that just got sent through where. Now, Lois, this is is eliciting an uncontrollable reaction from you. Can you try and describe what you're seeing in that last pic? Uh, Well, it's a a dog who is made of cartilage, as far as I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's no head. there's like, yeah, there's like this sort of folding over and around pillows. And they're little toe beans. They're little pink toe beans. Toe beans. And what, what are the legs doing? They're sort of crisscrossed in, in an unspeakably adorable way. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the puppies are all yawning. And, and making squeaky, squeaky noises. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just to jump back on on track for a, yeah. uh, for a very quick second, briefly, Am. <laughs> oh, why <wow>. not? <laughs> Sorry. No. You, well, this gives you see. This gives you an opening now because now you can distract back. Like you, you just needed a, you need to pull in the other direction, then you can pull back with puppies again. And um, but there was there was a question that I, I I'm going to kill myself if I don't ask you before the end of the before the end of our chat about the episode because I know we're going to head on to cracking good reads at some point soon, but. We're now in the home stretch of Priori, and being a Stephen King fan, I know that endings are hard, yo. How do you feel <laughs> about the structure of how you brought Priori to a close, knowing that, knowing that bringing threads together and closing us in a satisfying way is so difficult? See, the last, for me, so, so I wrote Priori. Priori. I wrote Priori. Priori. Um, <laughs> 
like the bogan way of saying it. I wrote Priori over the past five years in between my esky days. No. Uh, so, so I wrote over the course of five years. When I look back over the structure of the story, by the time I had gotten to the end of a story, I understood how the pace of the story or how the pace of stories in general worked. And so for me, the last probably seven or eight chapters are actually the best in the book. Okay. Because they're, they're all giving you a little bit of information that is helpful and that you will need and is moving the plot forward rather than just being, isn't this a fun thing? This is a fun thing, right? This is a fun thing. <laughs> Let's play with this pink bit. That's, that's what um, one of my um, writing uh, workshop teachers uh, was ta- t- telling me about, like when they were structuring out stories, they say you need the pink bits, which are like the fun bits where you play around. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, whereas the bits that move the plot forward are the black bits. So there, there's a lot of pink bits. You heard it. You heard it first. You heard it first in Priori chat. <laughs> I've never heard there's that. Of, oh, I've never heard that said before. <laughs> so there's a lot of pink bits in sort of the middle start of the of the start of the middle of the story, and then as it gets to the end of the middle, uh, everything just starts to get blacker. So it's like you've got pig, mm. and then you you're slowly covering the pig in ink. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the weirdest analogies I've ever used. Tattoo So I think, yeah, the final sort of seven to eight chapters really sort of close the story off. I hope they close it off well. I feel like they close it off good. Hmm. Um, but there's some of, yeah, like this is one of my favourite chapters. The almost final chapter is another one of my favourites. And then the cave-in chapter was also one of my favourites. In fact, all of my favourite chapters are the ones in which really horrible things happen. Oh, so you enjoy, you enjoy... I enjoy the catalyst. Gotcha, okay. So you enjoy basically the sword falling rather than setting up sort of the, the foreboding. Mm. They're the things that the, the characters need to dig themselves out of, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Come back for more, please. You're bit, in the home stretch. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I feel a little bit weird sometimes talking about my own work because you're trying to express what went behind it, but you're also like expressing the fact that some things you're proud of and other things you would have changed. And sometimes I feel like it just makes me sound like a wanker. No. <laughs> and so I counteract that with pictures of puppies. Yeah. Now, is there anything else that anyone wanted to talk about with regards to the episode, or should we move on to cracking good reads? I'm happy to move on. Actually, I also, uh, I volunteered to do the song. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good man. Are, are, we, are we ready to, to do the, the reads? That's all set up? Yes. Wait, is, it, right. on, is yeah. it on three or is it like three and then you go? <laughs> no, I've got, I've, so I, I had an idea while we were talking and I sort of wasn't really paying attention too much <laughs> because I was trying to see if I could make it work. Uh, this is based on something we thought about doing earlier and then decided not to, but as a bit of a tribute, oh um, my. The, uh, this will be our um, our Crack and Goodreads intro song. Oh, nice. Take it away, Sam. He only means cause you sorrow, only means to cause you pain. He only wanted one time to take your magic. The only time you laugh. It's during crack and reads, crack and reads, crack and reads. <laughs> oh. Oh. Crack, 
cracking reeds, cracking reeds. Only I want to see you listening to cracking good reeds. This is what it sounds like when Priori members cry. <laughs> sad face for Prince. He can join our fat, sad face for Because <laughs> all of you are listening to this in the future and Prince is long dead. <laughs> yeah. But You've already old Googled Prince dead. We're not, yeah. we're not that slow. <laughs> kind of? No. It's always sad when you lose an icon. Mm. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> that was a brilliant theme song. Thank you. So, okay, so well, Sam sent this to me. It was... Uh, I, I, I don't know if this is one ad or not, but it's again, it's, it's our wonderful Craigslist coming to our rescue for providing some, some wonderful think meets from the, from the intelligence down at the heart, down in something, dignity, who knows. <laughs> um, it's... Uh, no, I, no, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it. Mm. No, I, 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 can't even, I can't even explain it anymore. Okay. Roommate needed. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine the cracker needing a roommate? Like, roommate needed. Storage of ice cubes in the freezer is not permitted. Red wine to be served chilled. Problem? Do not email me ever. <laughs> Looking for chill roommate who won't act like a big bitch when I tell him slash her to kiss my pet snake before they leave for work in the morning. <laughs> he would totally make people do that. Yeah. Kiss but that's a, that's a metaphor, surely. Kiss my pet snake. Oh, no! No, 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 no! Made you think it. Made you think it. It's stuck <laughs> in your brain now. It'll never leave. What does this say about Voldemort? Mm. Okay. Some ground rules. One, if I ring the triangle in the kitchen, it means you have to go to bed, no matter what time. (laughs) Three, you may have a friend over, but they have a 250-word limit. After that, they're not allowed to speak for the rest of their visit. God, that that is a kraken rule, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> I feel like we should put that rule into place during some um, very horrible weddings. You've reached the limit. Nope. <clears throat> if you want to live with me, you can't be taller than me. <laughs> Got a bike? Good. Once a week, you're gonna ride it in the street and let me sit on the handlebars. <laughs> 420 friendly, but don't you fucking dare say any other numbers in this house. <laughs> you, can't, you can't own an even number of shoes. No Indian visitors for more than one hour. Good Lord. Once a week, we drag our beds into the living room and sleep out there. You may not go to bed before me, nor may you get out of bed before I do. If you say good morning to me, then you must explain what's so good about it, or I will send you back to your room. Or, or knowing the crack and he'd just set them on fire with his eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's so good about it? 
<laughs> Potential male roommates, you must put one foot up on the toilet when you pee into it. <laughs> Captain Morgan Rom. I told the neighbors your name is Austin, so that's what you answer to if we are in the front or backyard. Throughout the course of the week, you will round up a minimum of ten fluorescent tubes so that I may get drunk and smash them in the garage on Sunday nights. <laughs> you will clean up the mess. If you drink beer in the living room, you have to drink an equal amount of piss. It is up to me which room is the living room at any given time. <laughs> I choose the rent. If I nail a rat to your door, it's time to pay the rent. <laughs> Two rats, I'm having sex in there. A third rat, disregard the previous two. I will be taking your temperature every day for the first month you live here. If you have a higher average temperature than me, you have to pay more of the AC cost in the summer, but less heating cost in the winter. If I kill you in a video game, I get to kill you in real life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can you just imagine Shima? Like Shima <laughs> discovering Craigslist, <laughs> discovering the fact that she can post ads. Can you just imagine the sorts of ads that Shima would post? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Help wanted. Must not be stupid. <laughs> I would love uh, to see like a Shima range of like demotivational posters. <laughs> <laughs> Leadership. It's something to strive towards in your case. Yes, you do look ridiculous in that outfit. <laughs> <laughs> Take off the clothes. Now, to round things out, after that stellar performance, uh, both from you, Sam, and from, and from the Kraken, how, uh, I believe we, we have, a, we have a, a topic to finish off the episode, which is things that people have consumed lately, that being a deliberately broad umbrella to put things under, but things that people have consumed recently that they have really enjoyed and would like to recommend. Pistachios. Sorry, sorry. Well, um, nom, nom. everyone else took one step back there, Cole. So, yeah, step on up. What have what <laughs> oh, you got? Oh, you, you bastards, get back up. At, no. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Well, I've been Netflixing a lot. Well, I've just done um, Daredevil Season 2. I also actually just finished Constantine, and it's ended up, Constantine's ended up being one of my girlfriend's favorite shows. It's, it's kind of like, it's supernatural with, with the safeties off. And pardon, pardon me for saying this, Lois, but I wish it wasn't so American. Um, but well, yeah, because he should be British. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly. But it's got that same kind of, um, the, the sensibilities out in the show that, that was written into it by um, Morrison and all those wonderful writers back in the day, you know? We've lost Emily. We have, yeah, yeah. I can't talk about how horrible the show can sometimes get. Uh, not horrible, horrific, because there's obviously like an insane amount of cute happening. Sorry. Of things. Are there photos coming or what? She may not be able to take photos. It sounds completely incapacitated. Oh, dear God, look at that. 
No. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm sorry, Cole. Is I'm it? sorry. She just started snoring when you started talking. <laughs> well, anyway, um, back to the non-cuteness. Um, it's got amazing demonic possession in it. Uh, you know, there's it. It's 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 back to Linda Blair. It's not. Um, oh wow. Uh, it's not good old Sam and Dean going black eyes and. Yeah. And then we we punch each other and then we have a, a manly hug and everything's okay. No, it's it's yeah it's. Hmm, there's there's a lot of blood. There's a lot of go, and that's I guess that was also the most impressive thing about Daredevil season two is that they've ramped up the blood. They've ramped up the the danger level. It's not the kind of fumbling about. Murdoch gets punched down, has to get back up again, kind of thing. It's it's a, it's a bit more superheroic, but then it's got that edge of well, this is ninjas and Punisher going going to town on 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 bad kid stuff. One of so, the things they do in season two too, which I which is awesome, is that some of that's direct consequences of Matt's actions. For sure, yeah, yeah. It's it's proof that comics aren't the realm of of kids. Lois, what have you I, dug I, recently? I think. Em and I want to share ours because, gosh. Yes. Oh, I'll, I'll let you. Yes. Go. I'll let you go, Emily. You talk about him. Uh, uh, um, there is this great, fantastic Australian comedy, uh, which ABC has picked up. It was originally a YouTube channel, and ABC uh, iView, which is uh, so ABC is the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. They have a public. Um, several public TV channels over here in Australia. And so ABC iView is their on-demand service. And so ABC iView approached these two women who run this YouTube channel, uh, Australian Girls, about doing content exclusively for ABC iView. So these two girls have created this show called The Catering Show. Now, both of them are named Kate. One of them is incredibly food intolerant. The other one describes herself as an intolerant foodie. And it sounds like it's supposed to be a cooking show, but I think very little cooking actually happens. And so it's like any Australians who have ever seen Kath and Kim. It is like Kath and Kim for the digital age. So the episodes are only like seven to ten minutes long, and they are some of the most hilarious things I have ever seen. The style of the comedy is what I find the most appealing because it is unapologetically smart. The production of the series makes it clear. Like, they are sending up every single cooking show they can possibly send up. Um, and, and all the tropes in one big go. And, and they know they're doing it and they're looking you straight in the eye as they do it. Um, that's a loud snore. Of my puppy. Yeah, I don't even have it near the puppy. This time. <laughs> well, <laughs> you don't even know. That, that better be that better be puppy snoring then. But, <laughs> yeah, but the thing about it is they both they both write and perform. It's it's Kate McLennan and Kate. They're but they both have Mook names, which is even more infuriating. They're I want Kate, to say McCarthy. Kate, Mook, Mook. Yeah, McCarthy. <laughs> Like, if, if you want something that meets the Bechdel test, off you go. You can watch any episode, and it will meet that criteria in about 30 seconds. But setting that aside, because that's a very broad cri- you know, set of criteria, it's one of the only examples where it's not self-consciously 
woman in the way that it presents itself. It's it's two women who are, you know, trying to <laughs> put together a cooking show that is always a horrific failure in some way or another. <laughs> um, glorious, glorious failure. But it's it's not even unapologetic, it just is. Uh, yeah, and, and some of the episodes are, like as you said, they're very funny, but some of them are, like, also very gross. You know how they're, like... There are, when you see guy like TV series is aimed at guys, there were gross things yeah. where. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have one word to say, and that's lasagna. Oh, lasagna! That's all I so, have to say. <laughs> oh. uh, yes, the plot refers to something female, and. What most would generally call disgusting. Um, so, <laughs> oh my baby, what are you doing? Are you okay? Being adorable in the mic. Cool. What I'm doing. How are we? <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, so that yeah. So men have gross things, and you know they talk about the penises and stuff. And I feel like this is the female equivalent, but it's smarter. Mm. Yeah, it's not just gross out humor. It's it's. Uh, crossing crossing boundaries just as part of who they are in their everyday lives rather than yeah. them feeling yeah. like they're trying to be controversial. Mm, yeah, exactly. They're sending up cooking shows, they're sending up comedy, they're sending up, yeah. And, and for those who may not be aware of what the show looks like or anything, it's the catering show, K-A-T-E-R-I-N-G. Uh, for our international friends, I don't think season two is available internationally yet. But it it's will be short though. Yeah. It will be shortly because they're providing basically like a uh, a portal for it or a way to access it and pay for the content. Gosh, yeah. it is absolutely worth it to watch. Mm. I gave myself a headache. I laughed so hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. They are they are incredible at like one of my favorite comedy devices too, which is the overlong awkward shot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, their sense of timing with each other, their facial expressions. Even even when one is in the background, that one is that that particular. They're both completely invested in what's happening, so it's like it's like watching a good Zucker Abrams Zucker film, where there's layers of stuff happening. So it pays to watch it more than once because you were watching what was going on in the foreground, and next time you're like, oh my god. What's Sorry, what did on? you compare that to? Uh, Zucker Abrams Zucker Zucker films like uh, in the US it's called Airplane yeah there you go Flying High oh gotcha yeah yeah Hot Shots that kind of just to to give you an idea of some of the um, the titles of these episodes uh, the catering show Border Force Bonanza Sale (laughs) Uh, (laughs) the catering show Thermomix Uh, the catering show classic catering show Food Porn catering show We Quit Sugar (laughs) (laughs) god bless them for doing that border force episode too because like for those of you who are listening internationally they um it's the second oh it's the first of two times i've seen them um just basically jab a thumb in the eye of our government for doing something incredibly reprehensible and border force basically have I mean, it's politically complex, but there's been a couple of political missteps where they've just done, or they've tried, set out to do remarkably stupid things, and the catering shop just mercilessly jumped on that and satirized <laughs> it. Uh, so, yeah, so that's Lois and my favorite consumable at the moment, uh, which is funny because it is supposed to be a food show. Uh-huh. 
double pun. And can you, lovely people, can you recommend a favourite episode, or you just like don't choose mainline at all? I do. I do like the Plazanya <laughs> episode. Yeah. Uh, what's what's the episode with the cheese that I was talking about? Yeah, uh, get it. It gets further. It gets yeah. further. It gets better. Yeah. <laughs> Sam. <laughs> so as I uh, I mentioned earlier, I was try- I was actually trying to sort of I was racking my brain for something I'd been consuming, and I can't believe it didn't jump to mind immediately because I because I mentioned it earlier is that um, I've been reading a lot of a role playing game uh, called Seventh Sea, mm-hmm. and I've been reading this as I said because I had they did a sort of a call out for they were looking for writers and artists and and so you had to sort of write a bit like 500 words, they give you like a very, very short brief. But it did mean that like, cause I, part of my, the Kickstartering I did was that I got all of, I haven't got them all, I haven't released all of them yet, but I got like all of the first edition books as a PDF. Yeah. And so to try and sort of get a sense of the world and a sense of the style that they were going for, I was reading a lot of that. This conceit of the game is that it's 17th century Europe, but all the names are different. <laughs> so all of, all of the continent's names are filed off, but otherwise... Basically, like, there's a lot, and I think part of it, like, I've, I've, I definitely had a review, but part of it was, like, so that you can play a historical game, but you don't have that one history buff being like, well, actually, because yeah. you can be like, this isn't this isn't actual history, but it's very heavily inspired by, it's um, by John Wick, who had done uh, Legend of the Five Rings, and it's mm. the same roll and keep system, uh, with a bit of differences, and he was going for a sort of very swashbuckly game, and the idea was that when you started the game, you're already like a, a sort of like a Dread Pirate Roberts yeah, or a sort of a, um, it, and he, he has actually said one of the things for a second edition was that he didn't actually manage that. And they kind of want to fix that aspect. But the world is I found very interesting. Like there's a lot of stuff. So like I said, it's 17th century Europe. So instead of like England, you have Avalon. Instead of Germany, you have Eisen. Instead of the 30 years war, you have the War of the Cross. But yeah, so that was like, I sort of had a couple of days where I was just like reading all of the lore so I could actually understand what the hell I was talking about. And it was it was nice doing a writing thing, which I hadn't done for a while. It reminded me why, because it's painful and hard and nerve wracking. Right. Yeah, fingers crossed for you on that, man. And I know what you mean about writing being hard, too. I was trying to delicately put the point to Lois on the weekend because I've got a world of respect for like Lois and Em and how they... Get in, get in the salt mines and do that regularly. I know being a writer is there's nothing magic about it, but yeah, I I find too like whenever whenever you have to do something like that, especially when it's got a creative bent, it's just it's painful. It, it just depends, you know. Everybody has a, a particular way of expressing experience or emotion or concept or what ifs. Uh, you know, we all have different ways of doing it. To, to me, sitting down and drawing, trying to actually draw is very difficult and uh, not quite agonizing, but it's it's not very organic for me. It takes a lot yeah, of you know. effort. Mm. But, you know, if you sit me down with the page and say, you know, nobody's going to be checking your edits on this one, nobody's going to be looking over your shoulder, I can be like, woohoo! Now, that is not to say that we don't actually work hard when a, a polished product is required. There There is the agony and the ecstasy of sitting there going, is that the right verb? Oh, good. Mm. Should I even get rid of that sentence? No, I can't get rid of that sentence. Wait, I'm totally inconsistent. 
this character was a guy and now it's a girl here. Oh God, what else is wrong? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I apologize if it sounded like it's trying to come off like it's easy for you. No, to no, no, no. But I, I think just you... want—I didn't want to come off sounding like, oh my god, well it's so totally easy. All you have to do is just sit there in front of a computer and type. Yeah, no. but I think there was a word. There was a word you chose earlier um, that I think really highlights the difference. It's that it's a more well-worn groove. So the effort is along paths that are that are known. Like it's not—it's not less work, but it's more comfortable and that comfort has come from that effort um, over time, the same way that an artist is more comfortable with trying to express themselves visually. Cool. I'll very quickly sneak mine in then to wrap things up. Um, I recently listened to an audio drama called Limetown, which is a six-part... Well, it's a podcast, but it's an audio drama at the same time. Episodes, I think, are around 20, 25 minutes and it blew my mind. There has not been something like this that I have engaged with um, or found on the web uh, in quite some time. Now, I guess this this comes down to personal preferences to some degree as well. So some of the things I'm going to say here, like I'm not disparaging the incredible work that is out there, but uh, say, for example, Welcome to Nightfell. Welcome to Nightfell has a beautiful tone to it, but it's a very... In its way, it's dark, but it's also a very safe and a very kitschy tone. Um, Welcome to Night Vale very deliberately uh, will take you to a place of unease, but make sure that it navigates you back to a safe place by the end of the episode, because it's not that kind of show. It's not intended to freak you out. There are parts of Limetown that, uh, that I listen to that genuinely freak me out, and they, they will leave you with these incredibly, um, incredibly torn moments. Uh, at the end of episodes that I just found really uh, affecting. I really enjoyed, almost as much as listening to it, I almost enjoyed as much as that uh, talking through it afterwards with Lois and talking about sort of uh, here and there sort of different choices that they made creatively and uh, playing that that wonderful what-if game of like, well, if I was in charge, what would I do? Um, But yeah, it, it stands on its own two feet and I have not, um, I've not seen, basically, or heard, I, sh- I should say, anyone doing work, basically, of that caliber in the audio drama space. Um, like, yeah, that's sort of one of the best things that I've encountered. And it comes down to personal taste as well. Um, yeah, yeah, and it, you do want something that will absolutely freak you out without question. Because mm. it will. It'll, it'll, you know, you'll sit there and be like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't it's, listen to it at night. No, 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 don't listen, don't listen to it before you go to bed. There, no, yeah, there, I really should not listen to it at all. Yeah, because there were there there something that comes with that morning. I have too active an imagination. It doesn't matter whether it's day or night. Yeah, yeah. M, no, leave leave this one be. Either listen to it with friends or leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, they're ramping up for a season two. It did it did end on a pretty substantial cliffhanger, but I'd recommend checking it out if you like. If you do like um, storytelling in an audio format, which I'm imagining you do because you're here. <laughs> well, let's not make any assumptions. No, that's, that's true. You might just be here. <laughs> you're following David around, in which case you're, incred- you're incredibly disappointed because <laughs> he's not here tonight. Not yeah. here we love you all dearly out there in listener land. Please come back for the, lo- for the final stretch of Priori. Uh, we're hitting basically the home stretch here, so episodes should be coming out with a more... You're going to hate me in the next episode. Yes. Hate me. You will. <laughs> you dirty bird. 
Have a wonderful night, everyone, and we will be back to talk to you soon. Uh, and enjoy the gag reel. Bye bye. Oh wow. I am here. I am dialogue with a stuke. One more time. Dialogue. Uh, prophesized. Pro- prophesied. I'll give you both. I will give you both because it's two for one day. Hang on. No, that doesn't make. Yeah. Again, I'm going to give you both on that. That's confusing. But I could be wrong because I am not a sharp tool. Dialogue. And then Master Relitri says, blah, 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 blah. Dialogue. And I'm going to blow my nose because I got a runny nose. And now that we're warming up, I'm just going to lose my jacket. We're getting intimate. Dialogue. One more time. Were you looking at the agent, Beverly? Or were you looking at the woman in the red dress? Do you, you can hear it. Oh, God, what's that song? When they have that sequence in the Matrix when they're walking. Morpheus is, is explaining things. Yeah, can feel it. Anyhow, back to work. Dialogue. Oh, that's how you end a chapter. Well, you know, that or drop half of Kriana on people. Priori the Podcast is a forecast audio of the fantasy novel Priori, written by Emily Craven, the author of the Grand Adventures of Madeline Kane series. The podcast is produced by Emily Craven and Kevin Powell and contains the voiceover talents of Emily, Kevin, Sam Piaggio, Colin Smith and Lois Spangler. Intro and outro music is thanks to composer Christopher Healy. Each weekly episode contains a chapter of Priori as well as a gag reel and chat with the cast. To find out more about Priori, Emily, the cast, or to sign up to the newsletter of Awesome, go to www.originalfantasy.com forward slash Priori podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please consider while you're at the website donating the price of a cup of coffee towards us paying our wonderful voiceover actors. These guys have freely donated their time for this project and Emily would like to shower them with riches so they'll consider creating more podcasts with her and for you in the future.